now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333 2020 401 and join the debate. From me, Ali Bally, a very good morning to you. Welcome to Scotland's Talking. On the programme today, after Andy Murray's announcement of his imminent retirement, I'd like you to share your stories on what it's like to live with constant pain. Yeah, I can't keep doing this. Just, just playing with no idea of when the sort of the, the pain was going to pain was going to stop. Now, it's estimated there are eight hundred thousand Scots who have what is classed as chronic pain, and we'll be speaking to an expert who can offer advice on how to make life more bearable. Also on the programme, is it time for the ninety-seven-year-old Duke of Edinburgh to take a back seat after his car crash? We'll hear from a royal watcher who thinks he's unlikely to let go of the wheel. You've got to remember the Duke of Edinburgh served through the Second World War. This is a man who has been in the business of physical action all his life. So here's the question. When do you think is the right time to give up driving? And with Burns Night coming up this week, we'll be looking at whether the National Bard is still relevant today. What do you think? And if you're not completely bored of Brexit yet, then you're very welcome to call in with your ideas to fix it, because these two don't seem to be ready to talk. I believe it is my duty to deliver on the British people's instruction to leave the European Union. The Prime Minister seems completely unable to grasp what has actually happened. Or treble three, 2020 401. That's the number to call. We're looking for your opinions. Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Now, last week on the Talkin', we mentioned Sir Andy Murray's announcement of his imminent retirement from tennis. So many people have been honouring his remarkable sporting career, but it got us thinking a bit more about the reasons behind his decision to quit. You know, I spoke to my team and I, and I told them that, you know, I, 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 can't, you know, I can't keep doing this and that I needed to have, like, an end point um, because it, I was sort of... Just, just playing with no idea of when the sort of the, the pain was going to pain was going to stop. Now, few of us probably know what it's like to be an international sports star, but hundreds of thousands of Scots know what it's like to live in pain every day, and that got us thinking. In Andy's case, it's his hip, but there are a lot of causes of what is classed as chronic pain, arthritis, many other things, but. I mean, and also when we're talking about this, I, I was chatting to someone who, who said that they uh, live in constant pain um, with uh, ankle and heel injuries that they had. And they were referred to a chronic pain clinic uh, with the NHS, but it was going to take nine months to a year. Possibly they might get it into somewhere between six and nine months. That's a long time to be in pain. So thought we'd get someone on the show today who can offer some advice. And that person is Phil Sizer, and he's from the Pain Association of Scotland. Goes around the country helping people to learn to live within conditions. Phil, good morning, and thank you for joining us. Good morning, thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, um, pain, I would imagine, when you talk about the Pain Association of Scotland, first of all, tell us a wee bit about that. What What is that association set up to do? Oh, OK. We're a Scottish charity, uh, despite my accent, 
and with Scottish charity, the head office is in Perth, and we deliver something a little bit unusual. We we work to help people exactly as you've been describing, people who live with long-term pain, uh, sometimes called chronic pain, um, and it's for people where, if you like, medical help can do so much, but it's about 20% of the Scottish population will be living with some kind of pain that they have all of the time. It goes up and down, um, but it's something often they're told they need to live with. And my work and the charity's work is to help people to manage and cope with their condition. A lot of it's kind of, it's not what people often expect. Sadly, we can't take people's pain away, but we can look to help them to manage it, which means looking at the things that make it worse, but then also helping with, and you heard some of that with Andy's story there. Some of it's about the condition, but the other bit is about the wider impacts on life. So, you know, I was thinking about Andy Murray the other day, and obviously he has a, 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 a problem with his hip, but I think the thing that's really upsetting him is the thought of his career going down the pan and all, all the things that define him. So this is something we work with on a daily basis, and we have a network of groups and run courses all, all over Scotland, from the Hebrides down to uh, Dumfries. Um, so it's it's a, like a once-a-month service, mm -hmm. and it provides a mixture of education and support. So you don't c say to someone right here, we've got a magic solution for this. We can get rid of yeah, your I pain. Know. That's, that that <laughs> no. must be what a, a lot of people think. If, if you're in chronic pain... You're looking yeah. for help, aren't you, all, all the time? You're, you're... Absolutely and completely understandably. That's what everybody wants. They want the magic bullet. Um, you know, often they will have gone to their doctors. And also, I, I think sometimes people think the pain clinics will be the cure. Quite often we see them when they've been through to see everybody, yeah. often in several cycles, and they're often given the difficult news that, by the medics that there's nothing more that can be done. Um, and, and that hits people very hard and obviously they come often come to us feeling quite desperate and i just have to be straight with them from the beginning and say look i can't take your pain away if i did i'd be very rich um, but what we can do is help look at living life maybe more successfully um because it's quite easy to get caught up in in a difficult mix of not just pain but pain exacerbated by dealing with the change and the massive changes somebody will have in their life. So, for, for instance, Andy Murray is going to mean the end of his career. For a lot of people who aren't sports stars, it might mean the end of their job or it might mean a threat to their job or it might mean they need to give up things that meant a lot to them. Um, so it's, it's about helping people to find a way forward um, because when when someone's in some of the difficult stages with this, they kind of think, well, the future's bleak and they're on the scrap heap. Um, and that might be something Andy Murray's going through at the moment. You might think, well, you know, who am I if I'm not a, a, a sports star? That's right. Um, I mean, it's, it's easy for people to say, well, he's made his money and, you know, and uh, he can yeah. sit back and retire. But I don't think that's the type of person he is, do you? No, not at all. So it's he will also, be taking it badly. He will be taking it very badly. And obviously... This is another thing I, I see a lot. A lot of people are very hard on themselves. Mm -hmm. So he will find it probably, I don't know him, 
but he will probably find it very hard to to stop pushing himself to his limit. Um, you know, you can imagine a sportsman, but a lot of people do continue to be, push themselves to the limit because they have this idea of no pain, no gain, which sadly in chronic pain doesn't help people. It helps you if you go to the gym and you want to get fit, but it, it, it's a belief that actually makes a lot of people with chronic pain worse because mm. they keep pushing themselves through through their pain. And then if you like, the pain system turns up the volume to say, look, I keep telling you to keep take it easy. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part. Helping people to learn, it, it can ultimately be very simple, to be a bit kinder to themselves and to adjust to that new reality. But as you say, it's going to be very hard for him and, and he'll, it'll take time. Okay, so Andy is, as we know, talking about his hip. In your people that you speak to in, in general in Scotland, is there one particular ailment, pain, we're talking there, hip, that crops up time and time again? Is that, is, is that a... Okay, there's a few, I mean, there are literally hundreds of causes of chronic pain and some people don't even have a diagnosis. The one I would say, I come across the... This isn't saying this is statistically the mm, case, but yeah, yeah. the one I come across the most and one that seems to cause a lot of people an awful lot of upset is a condition called fibromyalgia. Um, and in common with a lot of people with chronic pain, um, a lot of conditions, big one with that is a lot of people don't believe it exists and everybody tends to look well. So fibromyalgia is... Um, a condition where people have widespread pain that moves around their bodies. Um, there's no physical sign of it. Right. And there's no test um, apart from a, a test to push people in certain places. So that causes a lot of upset, not not just because of the pain, but because of these other wider issues we're talking about, which is things like people finding it hard to believe and sometimes people say they find it hard to, to be believed um, because everyone's saying, well, you know, sure. You look all right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You hey, look well. you're looking well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Many times we heard that, hey, you're looking really good. And inside yeah. you're going, well, I'm in pain. You know, Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. If you would like to, to uh, put a question um, to... Phil, do it now. Uh, the phone number is 033 If you are uh, one of the people he's talking about uh, in c- chronic pain all the time and you would like some advice, then he's here to give that advice. 033 2020 uh, Linda sought your advice. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Good morning. Um, tell us your story then. Oh, where do you start? Um... I went on holiday um, and took not well on the flight home. Um, I had a chest infection um, before I went. Um, During the flight home um, from Turkey, my arm swelled up to maybe two or three times the size it should be. Um, Got to Glasgow, got home, phoned my GP, um, got an appointment and before I knew it, I was in the doctor's surgery and an ambulance was called. Got to Cross House and done various tests on me. Um, it turned out that I had heart failure. Um, my doctor Chong at Cross House Hospital, um, basically it was trial and error with pills and different you know, blood tests and 
the rest of it. And I was in there for two and a half weeks and I took a bad turn. I was then transferred to the Golden Jubilee in Glasgow Mm -hmm. um, under a professor, Mark Petrie, who basically worked with me every single day for 10 days. Um, Couldn't get blood. My body was just rejecting things. And eventually he got me on the right medication. Um, Felt tired, weak, but I put that down to the stress. Well, you, you, you sound as though you'd been through the mills, let's face yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. You should see the pictures. No, it's all right. Um, this is radio. This is radio. They don't work. <laughs> yeah. So um, after the diagnosis, uh, I just felt helpless, hopeless, down, very, very depressed. Um, but my body just, I knew there was something not right. Anyway, um, started going back to my GP, seeing heart nursing consultants, very good um, at appointments, keeping an eye on me. And I just kept feeling there was pain everywhere in my body. Mm-hmm. And the GP gave me this painkiller, that painkiller. And because of my heart medication, I can't take what everyone else takes. I've got to watch, you know, what they prescribe me. So... And normal like people, I would say, can try anything. I can't. So but when anyway, did did you approach? You know, I I know you say it's a long story, but we're, you know we've only got till twelve. Um, so, so did you approach the pain association? Is that how it started? No, I get um, an appointment and to go to the pain clinic at Crosshouse Hospital. Right, and it was the doctor there that said that they couldn't do anything for me, but there was a meeting at Nethermains in Co-Winning um, and I could go to that so at first I thought mm, will I, won't I I decided to go and I'm so glad I did um, the topics that Phil um, comes up with are very very interested and so true Right, and because I... then I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia I see so that's just what you were talking about Phil wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, h- how how has the sessions that you've been at with the Pain Association Scotland then? How how have they affected you now? Where where is your health now, Linda? Um, I have good days and bad days. Um, I have pain every day at different <coughs> parts of my body. Um, but Phil's talks make you understand a bit better, and he explains situations a lot better rather than a five minute um, Mm -hmm. appointment with a GP right you know so I find that the the talks are interesting plus you're in a room and it's not just you these other people in the room have different things wrong with them so you feel as if oh it's not me it's just unwell. Right. Yeah, yeah. Other people are in the same situation. Yeah, and quite a lot of them do have fibromyalgia. Right. Which is interesting to hear other people's um, pains and sort of side effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can relate to some of them, some of them you can't. 
Linda, thank you very much indeed. I, I'm going to stop you there because, you know, we, we, we've got um, a few more calls coming in who want to, to make a point as well. Uh, just a reminder of the phone number if you uh, would like to make a, 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 a give a question or, or indeed make a point, um, then the number is 0333 2020 401. Phil Sizer from the Pain Association Scotland talking about chronic pain. If that's what you suffer from uh, and, and you'd like some advice, then give us a call. That number again, 0333 2020 401. You're listening to Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. Scotland's talking. Uh, later on the programme, we'll be talking and asking the question, what age should you be giving up driving? Is there an age? Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, is Rabbi Burns still relevant in today's society? That's something else we'll be uh, tackling a little later on. But at the moment, we're talking about living with chronic pain. And this comes about from a few of the calls that we had last week uh, talking about Andy Murray's situation where he's talking about retiring. Um, and, and then that brought to the, the, the four people who do live in constant pain. So my guest at the moment is Phil Sizer from Pain Association Scotland. As I say, he's taking your calls if you've got anything you want to say. Or treble three twenty twenty. One other ways you can get in contact on the email. Email address is ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk. You can text 61054. Start your message with Ali. And of course, we're on hashtag Scotland's Talking if you're tweeting. Right, Stephen, hello. Good morning to you. Good morning, Ali. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. I promise I'm over our pain today. Normally you are, but come on then, right? Are you, are you seriously, Stephen? Are you someone who suffers from pain? I suffer from pain, Ali. My father for the last ten years, and they put me on tramadol painkillers for my lower back when I fell off a lorry. And every day I just soldier on, Ali. And that's how I get fed up when I hear about these multi-millionaire sports superstars. Complaining of the age of 31. These folk are lucky, Ali. They can afford to go and retire and get into the sun. For somebody like myself and like many others, Ali, I've got to just get on with it and stop moaning. I've been to specialists up and down Scotland and there's nothing they can do with me. And now they put me on to, to, to this tramadol thing. And what I'm worried about is now is with these new drug laws that's coming out, Ali, like many others. I've got a family to support. I've got to go there with all this pain. Am I going to end up losing my license? I'm not be able to support any of my family. I'll keep my house above my head because of this chronic pain. It's every day. As soon as I move something heavy or anything, mm-hmm. my back just goes. And I'll tell you, it's, it's the worst thing. It's worse than gout. And I'm actually lying just now in my bed, I believe it or not. Because I'm not working during the night. But oh, okay. I'm 56, Ali. How long can I keep going for? Yeah, it's yeah. solid pain. Chronic Stephen, back pain. Sorry, Steve. Sorry. No, on you go. On you go. I was going to say chronic well, back pain. Well, I was just wondering, you know? I was just, just listening to, to what, what, what Stephen said there and um, what, what you're describing, Stephen, is you know quite quite common and understandable response to, to living with a painful condition and the, the obvious fear of, you know, not being able to keep going um, and not being able to support your family. Um, and 
the, you know, the frustration perhaps of feeling like you're, you're reliant on, on, on a very strong painkiller. But I did hear um, in, in what you were talking about, um, you, you did say your back goes when you lift heavy things. Now, I, you know, what, one of the things we look at in pain management is the, 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 the reality of if we have a problem, if it can't be cured, as you're saying, then we need to look, just in, 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 in other ways, need to look at what can you change in your life to accommodate it better. So, one, you know, one thing I would look at is maybe, is there anything you can do perhaps to avoid shifting heavy things, that kind of thing? Oh, oh, can you tell me this? How can I afford to give up my work? And I'm not talking about something heavy. I mean, I can go there and lift up, what, a wee bag of coal or something, or go there and lift up some messages or something like that. I mean, I struggle at times, and it actually depresses me. So I can't afford the likes of these superstars I've been selling you. It's saying, ah, I've got my back away. But I've got to a family to support. So who supports my family with this back pain? I mean, what, what do I do? And I just keep swallowing the pills and hope it goes away. I mean, there's people like myself who can't just give up work tomorrow or change their lifestyles. I, mean, I think that is nonsense. Right, hang on, get, give Phil a chance to answer. There's a few things in there, Stephen. Maybe, understandably, sometimes when we're upset about things, it's... I mean, I'm not telling you to give up your job. Um, I'm not telling you to, to not support your family. I'm just suggesting that one of the things we look at in pain management is if if there's a problem that's giving someone pain, something needs to change. Now, understandably, Andy Murray's got more money than all of us put together, um, but the situation you're facing is a very common one, um, and it's the difficult one. People do need to keep going, but you could say that there perhaps needs, that there could be some changes that don't mean giving up your job, but just putting a bit less load on yourself. Mm. Right, well, uh, you know, I was going to leave Stephen there, um, but yes. I hear what you're yeah. saying. I hear what you're saying, yeah. Phil, and and also, you know, Stephen, I, I I understand to a certain extent. No matter what you do, then you've got that constant back problem. It must be, uh, Phil, a story that you hear. It's like, I'm I'm thinking of Absolutely. it here like constant toothache, really, isn't it? That's a really good way of describing it. Yeah, um, yeah. So people will often say the classic thing. A lot of people say. It's important to understand there's two sorts of pain. There's acute pain and there's chronic pain. Acute pain is the kind of pain you get from a short, an injury that heals up. Um, whereas chronic pain is something you have all the time. And a lot of people say they have ever-present pain with good days, bad days, and flare-ups. Uh, some people say it feels like constant toothache. Some people have other, other metaphors for it. Um, but they might also use other words that more are more about how it's upsetting them, mm-hmm. for instance, how angry it makes them and stuff like that. So, you know, part of the process of, of pain management is um, reduce, trying to um, step back and look at the situation and, and look at what, what can I do rather than what can't I do um, and to look at the things that feed pain as well. For instance, the things that make chronic pain either worse or harder to cope with, do you get that? There's two bits to it. Um, uh, our stress, so we'd look at reducing stress. 
We'd look at improving sleep. A lot of people with chronic pain don't sleep very well. Mm-hmm. Virtually everyone pushes themselves too hard. Um, so that, that's, that was my point earlier. Mood and also diet can be relevant for some. So our work is always about saying, okay, there are lots of things that can't be done, but maybe there are some things we can't, there are some things we can do. Um, but you know, you, you need to want, you, you need to be in a position to do them. And adjust your lifestyle accordingly. So That's like, the message. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's a bit like I mean to use a very crude metaphor. If your if your car's not working like it used to, you need to drive it differently. Yeah. Indeed, listen to your body. Well, that's a big one, yeah. Isn't it just? Uh, George, good morning to you. Good morning. Morning, morning George. Uh, so tell us um, uh, how, what pain you suffer from then. Well, my condition is a trigeminal neuralgia, which is a severe facial pain and head pain. Uh, slightly different from what I find with the other colleagues in the, the, the pain association meeting I go to with Phil. Right. Bigger. Um, but very long story, very short. Uh, I was diagnosed in 202, and between 202 and 207, I went through various tests, etc., to find the best drugs, and if there was any clinical procedures. I had one, which was slightly successful, and then there was a major one, a brain operation, which I took in 207. Unfortunately, that was unsuccessful. Now, up until that point, all the professionals I had dealt with, I can't speak highly enough about, fantastic, the service they gave. But then suddenly these professionals became members of the Flat Earth Society, naval gazers, because there didn't seem to be anything at that point in 207 to deal with pain. I was kind of left floundering. They, they pointed me towards a couple of professionals, which I won't mention because they were worse than useless. Um, and for a number of years, I kind of looked for something because the worst, one of the worst things with dealing with chronic pain is that you feel a feeling of isolation, that you're, you're the only one because your pain is very specific to your body. And as Phil clearly stated there, I have good days, bad days, and mm-hmm. days you don't want to know about. Um, but that's not the same for everyone. It's not one-stop shop. There's not one uh, procedure or one thing that we can talk about that will uh, help everyone across the board for pain. Those suffering from chronic pain have to adapt it or take on board the messages and use them uh, to sort themselves and to help themselves. So in 2007 to about... I think it was about five years ago, I was in my pharmacy and I actually noticed a very small flyer for Pain Association Scotland uh, stuck to the till. So I took that and I went home and looked on the website and that's where I found there was these meetings at the Biggert, um, which, which I started going along to. Now, I've been going to them for about four or five years now with Phil and I think they're excellent. One of the, you know, my light bulb moment was when I started the first meeting and simply listened to everyone else with all these various conditions. We don't talk about the conditions, but once you get to know people, obviously it comes out in conversation. So I knew all of these people had various physical conditions, etc., and I had these problems with my my head, which was totally different from... But we all suffer from chronic pain, and that was the common denominator. And they, although they had different pain from different areas of the body, it was a light bulb moment to me to listen to all of these people saying the exact same things that I had been looking with and suffering with 
if you like, in mm. isolation and trying to deal with chronic pain. And that was the great thing to get out of these meetings. And I still get out of them now, even after four or five years. If I go along someone's, maybe I go along after I've had a flare-up that week, a really bad day, and just to sit there and listen and to have the conversation that we have with Phil and the other attendees. Even that boosts you for the rest of the month or the days ahead. Keeps you going. Yeah, oh yeah, it does. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. a booster if yeah. nothing else. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's the change that I've found having been suffering from chronic pain, as I say, since 202, particularly since 207. I think things have changed greatly in the last five years. I mean, even the website for pain associations in Scotland, I think, is fantastic now. I thought it was rather poor when I started looking at it years ago, but now <laughs> it's fantastic. And the fact that we're having this discussion on the radio, I think it's fantastic because I just floundered for a number of years, couldn't find anything. I mean, I've got a great GP, I've got a great you know, support system, but it's down to yourself how you approach because mm-hmm. only you, nobody but nobody who doesn't suffer from chronic pain can tell you or discuss with you how to deal with it unless you have others as Phil doesn't suffer from chronic pain, but he's like the leader of all of the other people who do. So you can get that it's different, different in that situation. But if you're on a one-to-one with somebody who ha- has never experienced self-management or how to deal with chronic pain, and I, I try not to use the word deal with, because that sounds like you can actually you know, finish with it, and that's wrong. It's management and living with uh, chronic pain, unless you speak to someone in a similar ilk, there's just no one can understand how it affects your life. I mean, I, similar caller recently, I think you had on there, I was in my mid-50s and I had a great career and I had to give it all up. I just couldn't do it anymore. There was no way because and I have really bad days, I'm down for maybe one or two days, and there's no way I could carry out my career, mm-hmm. not knowing from one week or one day to the next how bad or how good the day was going to be. Now I can manage it better, but I still even now, with the tricks that Phil's given us and how we manage it better, personally, I still couldn't carry out my career. Right. Because the pain is just, it's, it, it's debilitating. Mm-hmm. It, it is a debility. Uh, but not a physical one that people see when you're walking down the road with an arm missing or a leg missing or a crutch. I'm just, I'm just reading a couple of emails that are coming in, George, and, and they're saying that, you know, that um, uh, one in from Carol saying, you know, because it's not something that people can see, it's a bit like mental illness as well, Phil, isn't it? it it's mm-hmm. You don't see it, so people think, oh, you're okay. You know, you, you're just yeah. pushing it too far. And, and yeah. I got a, uh, an email in here, um, that says Stephen makes a credible point regarding opioid medication and passing roadside testing. Uh, these drugs have the same effect on the body and mind, and therefore the driving ability as well. Regarding uh, whether it doesn't matter, regardless whether they're prescribed or or whatever. Um, and and you know what the message that I seem to be hearing from from you, Phil, and and from the people we've been hearing from there is that the Pain Association are very much there to try and get you to adapt and to change your lifestyle, if you can, to to cater with the pain. Is that, is that the main message? Absolutely bang on, yeah. And George made the excellent point that everybody's different. Um, 
part of the the work is really helping someone to, if you like, find themselves again. That sounds a bit hippie, but it's it's the idea that it's very easy for someone to almost become their condition. Um, so what we're looking at is helping people not just to adapt practically to to the change, but actually the biggest, and I think George was sort of hinting at this as well, it's also about the mindset um, um, about con- living with a condition. Some people talk about it in terms of... Um, um, one lady once said to me, I've decided I am my condition. And that, that was a great shame. Mm. So what we're really about is helping people to um, get themselves back by adapting in the ways that they can, um, but, but also in maybe, as George also pointed out, realizing you know a lot of people feel isolated. They often feel like they're the only one, mm. and they think there's nothing they can do. Uh, well, hopefully, we can tick a few of those boxes. Yeah. Uh, uh, we'll come back in a second or two and get the details of how people can get in touch with Pain Association Scotland. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. We've been talking about living with chronic pain and Phil Sizer has been giving some advice from Pain Association Scotland. So, Phil, if someone, and, and uh, what I'm finding is the subject is I'm getting quite a few coming through on social media with um, with comments and, and therefore maybe don't want to come on and talk about it personally. Uh-huh. So I understand that. Um, yeah. How do people get in contact with Pain Association Scotland? What's the best way? Okay, two ways. Um... One is um, if somebody wants to find out about um, our services, our groups in their area, then um, there's a free phone telephone number. Um, it won't be answered today because obviously it's a Sunday, but um, it will be tomorrow. The number is um, 0800 Okay. Is that all right? That's fine. Um, yep. The other one is, um, I think actually it's, it's simpler just to Google Pain Association Scotland, right? Or or Yahoo it or whatever. Um, just put it into your into your search, Pain Association Scotland, and that will bring up the website. Um, and on the website, there's a few resources um, that people could find helpful, even if they don't want to go to a group. There's some short films I've recorded about different topics. Um, and there's a little thing called a spider diagram where people could assess their pain management skills. Um, and then there's also, again, on that website, there's details people could find with the programs of their local groups. So that's just a Google Pain Association Scotland. All right, gives a couple of so, ways right. to get in touch. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, I'm sure that uh, some of the advice there and some of the calls that we've been getting, um, people have been listening to that and it will affect them. Uh, and, you know, I think that's the best way. Let me just remind them of the free phone number again uh, tomorrow, normal hours, uh, 0800-783-6059 if you're interested in finding out where your, your nearest meeting of Pain Association Scotland is. Uh, Phil Sizer, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So it's seven minutes away from 11. In the next hour, we'll be talking about when is the right age to give up your driving licence, if there is a correct age, of course. What do you think? 
Uh, we'll be talking about that. Is Robert Burns, is the Bard relevant in today's society? Plus, if you've got something that you would like to say on Brexit, then we'd love to hear from you. If you've got the magic solution or indeed... Have you fed up hearing about it? Do you want the politicians to get their heads knocked together? What do you want done about Brexit? If you've got something to say, then let us know. Here's the phone number, 0333 2020 401. And this sort of sums it up. I believe it is my duty to deliver on the British people's instruction to leave the European Union, and I intend to do so. The Prime Minister seems completely unable to grasp what has actually happened. She seems to be prepared to send the country hurtling towards a cliff edge. I am disappointed that the leader of the Labour Party has not so far chosen to take part, but our door remains open. However, we do talk every Sunday between 10 and midday as Scotland's talking. Just uh, going back to a couple of the comments that have been coming in regarding pain management. Morning, Ali and Phil. I know how bad chronic pain is. This is from Liz uh, for myself. But I was lucky as after my hip operation, I was free of pain. But for people who have to live with this pain on a daily basis, it must be truly awful. It changes the way and you have to adapt to another way to live your life. For some, it will be devastating. So if a pain clinic is the way forward to helping people, it can only be a good thing. Thank you, Liz. And Carol said, uh, there are so many people around the country living in constant physical pain with illnesses that can't be seen. Arthritis, back pain, joint pain, and many other causes. There seems to be a lot of sympathy for those who have obvious or physical causes of pain, which is what we're talking about, like broken bones, but people seem to have less sympathy and understanding for those who causes a cause of pain cannot be seen. Carol, thank you very much indeed. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. The Duke of Edinburgh's car crash has sparked a debate over the laws on elderly drivers. Prince Philip wasn't injured when his Land Rover hit a car near the Sandringham Estate in Norfolk on Thursday, but a 45-year-old woman broke her wrist while the female driver suffered cuts. There was also a nine-month-old baby in the Kia who was unhurt. Now, the prince is 97 years old, so is it time he took a back seat? What do you think? Oh, treble three twenty twenty four oh one is the number. Royal commentator Alistair Bruce says Prince Philip is unlikely to change his habits. Anybody who's ninety-seven will be shaken by an event like that. Anybody would be. But I think age makes those moments rather more dramatic. But you've got to remember the Duke of Edinburgh served through the Second World War. He was present when the Japanese signed their surrender in 1945. This is a man who has been in the business of physical action all his life. And the fact that he got out of the car after what must have been a terrible impact and was able to walk away, it just shows what 
he's been made of. It's his generation. The rule in the UK is that our driving licences expire when we turn 70. But you can renew them by completing a self-assessment form. Edmund King, who is the president of the AA, says there are already safeguards in place for elderly drivers. For many elderly people, driving is their lifeline. It gives them their mobility, it gives them their independence. It means that they can visit friends, they can uh, visit their family. Uh, my mother recently had, had to give up her keys and, you know, she hates it. So it, it, it does affect people's lives. But what you tend to find with a lot of older drivers, when they know they're not as fit as they were when they are young, they self-regulate. So they won't drive at night, they'll only drive on local roads that they know, and they won't drive at high speeds on, on motorways. So they self-regulate to, to ma- maintain their safety. But it is difficult because there are some drivers who continue driving when they shouldn't. And I think that's where, you know, we would like to see more interventions from GPs, from the family, to actually put pressure on the individual. The other thing you can do, you can get your driving appraised. You can go to a driving school. There are quite a few courses. And one other thing we would like to see, at the age of 70, when you renew your licence and then... You have to renew it every three years with a medical declaration. We'd certainly like to see that you prove that you've had an eye test so that your eyesight is actually good enough to drive. And that was a recommendation put through by the Older Drivers Task Force about two years ago. And apparently government are looking at that recommendation. Edmund King, who is president of the AA there. So do you think there should be a cut-off particular age should you know should you that's it 95 or 90 or whatever where do you think is the right time or is it an individual choice is it up to the family to say to old uncle or or granny or whatever do you not think it's time you know you were you've you've knocked the curb a few times well heck you don't just do that in your 80s 90s you do that in your 20s and 30s so the accident that's Prince Philip was involved in. Um, would his reactions, you know, would, would our reactions been as loud if it had been somebody in their 20s or 30s who'd said, well, I was blinded by the low sun? I don't know. What do you think? Treble 3 2020 Let's hear your thoughts. And you can also email your thoughts. Uh, and the email address is ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk or text 61054. Start your message with Ali. Here's one from Dave. And he says, no one should be driving after the age of 90, irrespective of how good they are. And certainly everyone should be wearing a seatbelt. And for the police to give suitable advice 48 hours after a crash does not wash with us drivers. Anyone else, it would be three points and a £500 fine. No ifs, no excuses. And if you get dazzled by sunshine, then you do not proceed at junctions at all. He's a bit het up, you can tell, in his capital letters in this uh, a text that he sent, and some are above the law, which sets a really bad example for everyone else trying their best to comply. No wonder people's attitudes has changed when things like go on. Not consistent at all, Ali. Not consistent. Okay, Dave, go and lie in a darkened corner now and calm down. John, good morning. A very good and warm welcome to you, Ali. Thank you very much indeed. What do you think? I think myself uh, an assessment is needed. Uh, regarding the Duke, 
uh, I don't want to say too much. I won't get my MBE. Absolutely. So we'll watch what we're saying generally then. And generally, I think, yes, it comes to an age, a cut-off age. Um, I'm 69, and I certainly wouldn't drive again. Uh, what's happening here is an assessment, assessment by police and your local GP, also family involved, to make sure that you weren't enough to go and drive a vehicle, a motorbike, or any other type of trouble. You said you're 69 and you would certainly never drive again. Were you that bad? 69. 69? I mean, that's 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 no age that you should have to give up your driving licence, John. Well, well, why, why have you decided to stop? That's what I'm saying. Were you not a good driver? I was not a good driver. <laughs> So it's, not, it's nothing to do with age. You were a bad driver when you were in your 30s. That's very true, Ali. See, that's what I'm saying. So, so I just don't agree with this age thing at all. Everybody to their own. That's what I say. Everybody, Everybody's individual, John, surely. Certainly. But I do agree there should be a cut-off age. I don't see anyone driving at the age of 90. You slower reactions. Mm -hmm. The fact that your eyesight goes... Uh, I mean, all right, you can get dazzled. Wearing sunglasses helps. Uh, but one thing that comes out is the fact that what would have happened if it caused death? Mm -hmm. That's one thing, a, a situation that's coming out in the papers, Ali. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. So lots of uh, comments coming in regarding the age of driving. Martin in Annan says, what happens if an older person has a heart attack? After a certain age, a heart attack is far more common. Sure, there should be a cut-off age for this reason, apart from anything else. Right, okay. Not with you on that, Martin. Not with you on that. First of all, I don't think there should be a cut-off age. Everyone is different. But there may there should be, as Edmund King was saying, there maybe should be... Um, that you've got to have an eye test. You, you know, you, you, there should be certain things to you've got to to pass, but not totally reset it. Um, and anybody could have a heart attack at any age, so I'm I'm not sure on that. But Martin, thank you very much, Dave, for your your call and your comments. That's what it's all about. Um, another example, fine example of laws for some and not for others. Why should the royals be above the law simply because of their privilege? Well, I, you know, that has been ramped up by the media, I think. And I'm not sure that it has been given that much of a, uh, a let-off. But we'll see. We'll see. OK, uh, keep those comments coming in. Treble 3 401 You can text 61054. Start your message with Ali. Quite a few texts coming in. Email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk. And it's ongoing on my Facebook page as well. Ali Bally Show. This is conversations going on there uh, we're also t well, you know I, op I did say we'd open the the conversation today to talk about uh, Brexit if you wanted to and I'm not going to lead it I did think about bringing the 500 page document in about Brexit and taking you through it page by page <laughs> I didn't reckon you'd stay with us very long uh, so if you want to talk about Brexit and any comment that's fine Joseph I'm told wants to talk Brexit Joseph. Hey, good morning, Ali. Nice fresh Sunday morning. It is indeed. Right? Yes, good for a walk. Take us into it then about Brexit. What's well, your Ali, if you go to court, right, a big high court, right, and then you go to the, in front of all the, the, the judges, 
when they have something against you, and then it's an appeal, right? Now, when you, they have appeal as three or four judges, whatever it is, so when they go three to one or two to one, tell me, and that's the way it should have been with the people's vote, Ali. They voted two to one, and that result stands, same as in a court, Ali. I don't get this people's vote thing. You know, I agree with somebody else that said the other day. No, it's not the people's vote. The one, it's a, it's the, a referendum. It's the a referendum. That's what I'm right. talking about, Alan. Right. Sorry, sorry about that, Alan. No, it's okay. It's not, uh, I mean, you're talking about that, you know, you, it has been said we, we should have a people's vote. Yeah, what no, they, no, no. I'm not, what they mean is we should have another referendum. No, Ali, I don't want another referendum. Right. Yes, because the, 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 the vote has been passed, Ali. It has been done and dusted and we should just get on with it. So why we have why we got a democracy in Parliament, Ali? If a democracy in Parliament doesn't stand, well, why, why don't all, all the MPs go then? Because they should not have voted against the people of Britain, Ali. Is it not simply because it hasn't gone the way that they wanted it to go? Well, that's what I'm trying to say, Ali. Democracy is a thing supposed to stand. Mm-hmm. And Parliament's supposed to abide by that result, Ali. They should not be voting against the people of Britain. So, no deal, doesn't matter, you think we should just get on with it? Get on with it, Ali, and stop all this mongering amongst each other and arguing each other, you know what I mean? And all they're doing is, if I was one of their things and my result and I found out who the MP is, I wouldn't vote them in again, hard in again Ali, if they go against the, the people of Britain. Mm-hmm. OK, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Fred's in Aberdeen. Fred, how are you? Hi, good morning, Ali. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Ali, I'm doing fine, thank you very much. Apart from the cold, I'm back to Tenerife next Sunday. Quite Sorry. right as well, quite Sorry, right. Sorry, mate. Listen, Ali, what, what happens What happens at the the day after Brexit comes into place and they say you're not getting to Tenerife anymore? Ali, that would not happen, trust me. Trust me, Ali, that would not happen. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, can you cast your mind back about two and a half years when this referendum came out? And I'm sorry, Ali, I have to do this because I still believe to this day that Nicola Sturgeon missiled the people of Scotland. And what I mean by that is, if anybody casts their mind back, Nicola Sturgeon said that if you don't vote for Remain in Scotland, I will call another Indiref. Now, that was true, Ali. I don't forget it. And I still believe a lot of people in Scotland voted Remain for the purpose of not having another referendum. And the thing is that looking back at that, she kind of hasn't got her way there. And now, as we can see, the latest move now it's a possible announcement of a referendum. Oh, uh, she's been you... saying that for months. She's yes, just stringing but... you along. You know, she keeps saying, yes. I'll be coming out with it in another couple of weeks. She's been saying that for a year the now. The thing is, Holly, just like that gentleman said previously, now, those who voted leave and those who voted remain, it's democracy. The MPs are absolutely bang out of order. And I think that we should be all getting together and let's make us work. And it can be done. But what I'm meaning is that when I see people like Sturgeon, who is absolutely bent, we can say as many times as we like around that's her ambition to get independence. But that woman is absolutely bent. She's not caring about the Scottish people. She just wants her name in a history book. No, no, what? no. Come on, come on. Be, be, no, I know, I I know you Ali, don't know. Like, you've made it quite clear on the programme before that you're not a great supporter of the SNP or, or uh, Nicola Sturgeon. But I don't think it's fair that you say she does not care. 
she cares for Scotland in what she believes in. Now, she believes, along with many people who are members of the SNP and who are not members of the SNP, they care about Scotland. They may have different right, views. Polly. They may have different right. views as to how they get there. They, some people care for Scotland in the fact that they want it to stay part of, of the British Isles. Other care for Scotland, like Nicola and her supporters, who want to separate Scotland from but the British Polly, Isles. But they Polly. care. Well, while I can agree with you, as you say, she cares. But again, it's no difference. It was a once-in-a-lifetime vote, and she's went back on that. Always use an excuse like things have changed, times has changed, false uh, uh, polls and things like this. She's not listening to the people of Scotland who don't want a second referendum any more than the the English uh, MPs are listening to the Leave vote, and I think it's just one uh, set of MPs and another set of MPs, mainly Scotland, as we are talking, who has just given the whole country nothing but misery and threats of another referendum and so forth, Ali. Everybody is sick of it, and I really wish that... For me, Nicola Sturgeon still hasn't proved her day job, and neither have the MPs down south either. But what I mean, Ali, is that we're, it's like the papers say, and people say, we're just a laughing stock of, of uh, the world these things are going on. And I just hate to think, like you said there jokingly, what if they said... Uh, a day after Brexit, right, uh, Fred, off you go, uh, your house is being reclaimed. Now, I don't feel any different to, I don't know any future with Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, she's never proved nothing to me to make me want to go in her direction, except for to put uh, these uh, badges, shields up in every train station with Gaelic. I don't know what that good that's going to do for me. Now, I know she's a woman who is passionate, but how passionate is she when she hasn't faced the inquiry she's about to face? Yet, she's shouting off about another referendum. I think that's shocking. That's like she don't care what people say or what any uh, uh, inquiry says. She's just saying, this is what I'm going to do. But I, I've got, hang on, I've got a, a comment coming from Roderick here, and he says, if Scotland doesn't want another referendum, uh, like you've just said, Fred, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, Rod says, then what is Fred worried about? If you think it's going to be a no, what are you worried about? Well, Ali, for, for example, let's quickly say, and my return to Roderick would be quite simple. He needs to remember, for example, Nicola Sturgeon, through what's went on recently, has just cost the Scottish government £500,000. Now, that's money that can go to potholes, schools, many things. So how much more does she want to throw on this endless pile of money that she's creating? Now, you still, still didn't answer Rod's question. What are you worried about? about a, a I've got nothing to worry about, Ali, as long as we don't go independent. But therefore, that's, that's, that will be just what you were talking about. It will be down to the Scottish public. And, you know, if, they, if the Scottish public decides if that vote goes, I don't think it's going to happen any time soon because uh-huh. uh, Mrs May is not going to allow it, uh, unless, of course, she um, 
trades off a bit of bargaining there with the the SNP for, yes, for yes. the votes, and that's always possible. But if the, if the Scottish voters decide they don't want to have, um, as you said, you said you just said Scotland doesn't want another referendum vote. Well, if Scotland doesn't want it, then those who want to stay in the UK shouldn't have anything to worry about. I'm going to leave it there, Fred. Thank you very much indeed for your call. 27 minutes now after 12. treble 3 2020 is the number if you'd like to join us. Uh, there's one coming in from uh, I'm 73 and still driving buses for First Glasgow. Been driving buses for 52 years. See, there's nothing wrong. I don't see why, you know, imagine that gentleman would have to, I take it as a man, I'm sorry if it's a woman, but you haven't given me your name. Um, imagine him having to hand in his licence at 70, but regular checks, regular medicals as well. And here's another one that comes in that says, a medical every year after the age of 70, similar to us HGV drivers who have to get one every year after 65. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. So we've been talking about the age to stop driving, if there should be an age. We're talking about Brexit, if you want to. Um, Here's one that comes in and it says, uh, I don't want Fred speaking for me. I'm not a nationalist. Fred was on the phone 10 minutes ago. But I want Scotland to leave the UK and remain in Europe. Being British is a blight on this country. Norma says, re-Brexit and Fred, all 32 constituencies in Scotland voted to remain in the EU. Therefore, the SNP MPs are abiding by their constituents' wishes by voting against Brexit and trying to keep Scotland in the EU. In what way are SNP MPs not listening, Fred? And then Norrie says, Fred sounds like he's obsessed with Nicola. Or deluded. Maybe a bit of both. Thank you for those. Uh, Also, as I mentioned, talking about the driving licence and when is there an age that it should be given up. Uh, Christine? You don't think, think there's no, an age? I think there's a physical uh, about it because I've got chronic arthritis in my right knee. Now, I, I had a wee micro, which I paid, and then I seen this car, I went, oh, that's my car, I'm having that car. Of course, the salesman's going, oh, it's, it's just the same colour as your jacket. I thought, oh, hi, this is great. Anyway, I bought this car and it was a Ford Fusion. It was an automatic and I obviously passed my test in a manual. And I, I kept seeing in my uh, GP, but it's an automatic. And as soon as I heard the click in my knee, then I could just take off and drive anywhere I wanted. But staying where I am, no, no way. I wouldn't want to drive in this conditions nowadays. All you're hearing is toot, toot, toot. I've seen two arrests already. Um, just on T Street, the police at the at the back and the driver being put in to the back of the car. So, apart from that, just going, just pulling you back to where where we were there, talking about age. Aye. Have you well, given? Have you given? Have you given up? You said you don't want to be driving. Have you no. given up your license voluntarily, or have you been told you've got to? No, I haven't been told I have got to. It never went through the DVLA or anything like that. It was just on his advice. 
he said, it's your right knee that you need for that automatic. So I just stopped driving. And I gave the keys to my son. I said, well, rather than sell it, it was, I mean, it was minted. The lady that had it before me, she was disabled also. And she just obviously went, you know, her comfort zone. Mm. You know how normally you would drive, what, 20, oh, gee whiz. See that? Um, So many miles uh, per year. And, of course, that's, this lady had me, and then I got it. So it's been, it's, it's been a good car for you. But oh, com- uh, yeah, but coming back to, to the, you know, the licence situation, yeah. uh, then, Christine, so do you to- think there should be an age limit? No. No, if you're physically... Uh, not if you're physically um, able. You know, if you're... And obviously, like, as they say taking an, another sort of test when you're 70, mm-hmm. and then after three years after that, I, you know, obviously your eyesight, and if you can still see the number plate in front of you after so many metres or whatever, I mean, that has to come into account. Yeah, as so, well. so as, as the president of the AA was talking about earlier, there should be uh, an eye test when you're included in the um, assessment that you do for yourself, the self-assessment after your 70. Thank you very much indeed, Christine, uh, for that. Uh, are you going to be attending a Burns Supper this year? Do you think Burns is still relevant in today's society? Question for you coming next. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. It's Burns Night on Friday. Are you going to be attending a Burns Supper? Maybe you've already been to one this year. Or tucking into haggis, neeps and tatties. Maybe a spot of poetry or indeed a song. Uh, Next couple of minutes looking at whether Robert Burns is still relevant in 21st century Scotland. The question's being explored in a very modern way in a series of podcasts by Professor Polly Mackay of Glasgow University, and she joins us now. A very good morning to you, Polly. Good morning. So, how are you exploring this then? What are you, what are you doing to find out whether it is relevant and, and what, what's the, the thoughts behind this? So, as we know, Burns was incredibly talented, not least in his powerful and imaginative use of language in both English and Scots. And when we take this together with the fact that he was such a prolific author of poetry, prose and song, because he composed hundreds of works in his short lifetime, and of course on a vast number of topics, there really is something in Burns for everyone. And this has been recognised and taken up globally for over 200 years by readers, scholars, artists, performers and by industry. And this cultural legacy ensures that Robert Burns' work is constantly revisited and reimagined. And that's why he remains relevant today. So the idea behind the series was to ask people with different cultural and creative interests what it is about Burns that inspires them. And in doing so, it offers a glimpse into just some of the different ways that Burns is interpreted and appropriated in the 21st century. So the, the reaction that you've received then, has it been a positive one? Absolutely. 
um, what we hear from people is that they are they are inspired very much by different aspects of Burns's work and legacy to, for example, create new performances of Burns's song or dramatic imaginings of Burns in festival and theatre settings. We hear from people about particular works that they like to incorporate into fine art because they consider that the message is one perhaps of the universal, for example, in the case of Old Lang Syne. We hear from individuals who, who work in industry who are inspired to create new dishes using haggis and obviously of the influence that Robert Burns has had on the production and the, um, the export of haggis worldwide. And of course, we hear from individuals who think about the impact that Robert Burns has had on the Scots whisky industry and 21st century ways of incorporating whisky into uh, modern Burns suppers and celebrations. Mm. So the the podcasts themselves containing all that information, can I just take you out of the podcast for a second and from your experience, uh, Professor, what do you find is the reaction from um, school students today, both in primary and secondary? Are they, are they interested in finding out about Burns? Are they more interested now than they were, say, let's 10 years ago? Where is Burns going? I think that the celebration of Burns and certainly the the media exposure of Burns gets bigger and bigger with every year that passes. And also social media plays a part in that as well. And I do think that that's engaging a younger demographic and I think that is a very, very positive thing. Now, the Robert Burns School competitions have run for many, many years and they are run by the Robert Burns World Federation and they, I know, look at new ways of refreshing that every year as well. But beyond that, Teachers are interested in teaching Burns to their students, both at home and abroad. Many of these teachers are taking, for example, our, we have an online, a freely available online course in Burns um, from the university. We get a lot of teachers taking that course and finding new ways to teach him and introduce them to the younger generations. I think that by looking at Burns and his modern interpretations, we're only going to continue to you know, engage the younger generations. I myself go into schools and there's definitely an appetite for Burns in the schools. I have many, many requests to attend schools to speak about Burns, mostly around about January and February, <laughs> but throughout the year as well. Right. So the, the, the podcast, you would encourage our listeners to go and have a listen, get involved? Yes, because I think it will help people just to think about the ways that Burns's works as poetry continues to inspire us in the 21st century. And it might just help them to find a new glimpse into Burns. Excellent. Professor Pauline Mackay, thank you very much indeed. Glasgow University, you'll be able to listen to the podcast from tomorrow on the local section of the radio station's website where you can listen back to this programme again as well. So we're on the podcast as well. It's a thing, you know, make sure. Pauline, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. So it's been uh, a fairly uh, lively programme today, various different subjects. What do you think uh, is, is what Pauline's saying there? You know, is that uh, what you find about Burns, that um, there is uh, an appetite there? And uh, when you think of, you know, the things that can, just right, the, the whiskey, the, the, the haggis, all gets talked about and um, 
even school kids and and on social media i've noticed quite a few over the last few days uh photographs of people putting up uh of, of school competitions of maybe their um grandson granddaughter nephew etc uh being photographed reading burns poetry but is it relevant that was the question in today's society oh triple three twenty twenty four oh one we've also been talking uh quite heavily about the driving age and we've been talking about brexit if you wanted to Fred wanted to, and we got his comments. Jim also wants to respond to, to Fred's comments. Jim, how are you? Oh, sorry, I have to the wrong button press there. Jim, how are you? Not bad, how are you? Very well, thank you, very well. Your thoughts, please, on Brexit, or indeed what Fred's been saying. Well, it was a couple of things that Fred said. He said that Nicola Sturgeon didn't care about Scotland because she wanted a second independence referendum. Uh, to go back to the Brexit referendum... The SNP and Nicola Sturgeon are there to look after the interests of the Scottish people. Now, you can argue about it was a whole UK vote and all the rest of it, but at the end of the day, 62% of folk that voted in Scotland want to stay in the EU. So if she doesn't stand for no wanting to leave the EU, and if Scotland gets taken out of the EU because of a UK vote, she is looking after the interests of the Scottish people because the two percent that voted wanted to stay in the EU. Mm. And his other comment about Nicola Sturgeon costing the Scottish taxpayer five hundred thousand pounds because of the recent court case. I think if you look at the judgment, the judgment actually said that it was the two civil servants not doing their job properly that made the case fall. So therefore it was the civil servants that cost the Scottish taxpayer the Scot sorry, the Scottish taxpayers the five hundred thousand no Nicola Sturgeon, and no the SNP government. So a couple of points that he's he made there that you've picked him up on, that's fine. Uh, just while you're there and you're, you're talking Brexit, Jim, where do you think it's going to go? What would, what would you be doing if you were in charge? What would be the first thing you would do with your feet under the desk tomorrow? <laughs> what, what should have happened in the first place? And what didn't happen was the other parties, and I mean every one of the parties, should have got round the table and actually discussed how they were going to implement it and how they were actually going to get a majority in the UK Parliament. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. The Conservative government decided to go their own way, and when they come up with a plan, the Commons rejected it. And now the UK government are wanting all the other parties to come up with their own ideas, it, it, it's a bit rich. They, they, they didn't want to do it in the first place, but now that they couldn't get their own plan, mm-hmm. they want somebody else to help them out. Well, at the end of the day, Conservatives couldn't agree with themselves right at the beginning. I mean, that was part of the problem, wasn't it? That's why David Cameron uh, called this referendum, was to try and keep peace within his own party because they were fighting about uh, Europe all the time and he just thought, right, let's get this referendum over with, it'll go our way and that'll be it. It, yeah. d- it didn't and he got on his bike. Yeah, well, I've been I, I've been in this earth uh, 57 years and for as long as I can remember in politics, the Tories have been fighting with each other regarding Europe and it, it, it was it was no different when he called the referendum than what it was before. The thing that he was scared about was UKIP and UKIP taking Conservative votes. Mm. And what could happen, the, the part, as far as I can see it anyway, and I'm, obviously I'll be um, told I'm wrong if by listeners, of it, but we, 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 there are many calling for an extension 
Um, now, if that extension takes place, then the European it will fall into the European elections, um, where a lot of the European MEPs anyway have sort of resigned themselves to the fact they're going to be out of a job. But that would, if they were to have, uh, you know, it would mean we would need to take part in the European elections if, let's say, it was extended for six months, uh, then we'd have uh, have to take part. Um, and there is then a possibility of another party like UKIP propping up and, and, you know, splitting the votes again, and I wouldn't have thought any of the parties want that. No, no, I would have think... I, I, I honestly can't see, from my own opinion, I can't see the EU grant an extension if the new plan that is put forward is just the old plan with a different culture. It'll be... It'll be... No, it's... I can see the EU grant an extension if, if there's a new plan and a new negotiating stance but not if it's just going to be more of the same. Right. Do you think a general election's likely? Uh, Soon? I think I think it may be, but at the end of the day, it'll all depend whether they can get enough votes, two-thirds majority in the House of Commons because of the, the five-year uh, governments now. Mm. Okay, Jim, thank you very much indeed for your call. Uh, That's the final one of Scotland's talking today. A busy one, talking about uh, driving age, been talking about burns, and uh, also, as you heard there, a little bit about Brexit, but a lot about um, pain and chronic pain. The first part of the show today was taken up by that, following on from Andy Murray, who, as we know, is is suffering in pain and uh, had a guest, Phil Sizer, from the Pain Association Scotland, um, just talking about suffering with pain. Just a reminder of that free phone number, which I've been asked a couple of times on uh, social media here to repeat. Uh, Free phone number for Pain Association Scotland is 0800 783 6059.